Welcome back to the Banderpod, the frumious and fun podcast of Bandersnatch Books. We're a small press publisher of treasures found off the beaten path for lovers of all that is good, true, and beautiful. I'm Carolyn Claire Givens, and today I'll be your host as we're talking with author Rachel Lulich about shaping seeds of inspiration into stories. Rachel is the author of The Red Door, a middle-grade dystopian hope-punk novel published by Bandersnatch Books. Rachel Lulich, welcome to the Banderpod. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, we sometimes get to see our authors in real life. Um, and Rachel was one of those that we did get to see in real life, but we haven't seen her since we released her book. So it's always a delight to get to run into one or see each other on a screen sometimes. Yeah. To get the conversation rolling, I would love if you could give the listeners sort of the elevator pitch about The Red Door. Of course. So The Red Door is the story of Aster Temple. She's a 12-year-old girl who lives in a place where nobody has dreams at night. And those who do are basically hunted down and banished through this mysterious portal in the center of town, which is a red door. And nobody knows what's on the other side, and nobody's ever come back. And Aster has been hiding the secret that she is a dreamer. She has dreams. And so it's a story of her trying to grapple with her dreams when they begin to change and also trying to figure out how to navigate friendship and family in a world that requires such secrecy. Y'all, it's a real good book. Oh, such a good book, everybody. You should all buy it at bandersnatchbooks.com. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite nuggets of the story behind The Red Door is one that you told us very early on about the actual door that you saw. So can you tell us that story? Absolutely. So I was in the Air Force and uh, back in 2012, I was deployed to Afghanistan. And the base we were on, we lived in these areas that were fenced, fenced in areas with a chain link fence, and they were covered with a green tarp. So you couldn't see through to the other side. And in our little area where we lived, there was randomly this door in the middle of the chain link fence. And it was a red door. It was a wooden door in a metal frame. And it had this great big padlock on it. And nobody had the key or knew who did. And nobody knew it was on the other side. And the fence was high enough you couldn't just see over. And when you're in a place like that, you don't want to go snooping around. So we did. We right. just didn't know what was on the other side. And this idea really captured me of, a, of a, this door in the middle of just nothing. And why is it there? I love where stories come from. I just think it's the coolest thing. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty random sometimes. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's what we're talking about is those random seeds. So one of my other, you know, favorite steps in the process of making the book, The Red Door, was as we were going along, we probably were about to start cover art. I can't remember. I think it started. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think we'd seen a draft and we had, you know, some notes on mm. the door and, and, you sent us along a sketch that you had made, that you had found the sketch, the original sketch you had made back when you drew that and and said, hey, yeah. just, you know, so you know, this is what it looked like. I was Rachel <laughs> Donahue that, you know, my colleague here at Bandersnatch, she's our, our guru for cover. She's our creative director. But I was like, Rachel, we have to have it be this door. <laughs> like, it must be. <laughs> and, um, you know, just that little... Uh, what's the word Easter egg on on the cover and so we sent that sketch on 
uh, with your permission to Oliver Allison. Um, And I loved the way that that then got incorporated into the final art. Yeah, me too. That overlapping diamond pattern. Yeah. So cool. And then for all the, you know, book nerds in there, we then took the overlapping diamond pattern and created our interstitial in between, you know, like whenever there's a break in the text and there's a little graphic in the middle, that's the same pattern, guys. Um, I did not even notice that. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That's amazing. I geek out about making books. (laughs) So brilliant. But anyway, back to your story of the red door. At the point you saw the door, you didn't have a story yet. You just had a concept. So can you tell us about that journey from concept, inspirational seed, to eventually developing a story out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was following this other author uh, online on Facebook, I think, and she had written a little sketch of a story, an incomplete story, just an idea. And in that idea, there were these kids who had sort of special abilities because of being sensitive to stimulus like sound, smell, color, that kind of thing. And I thought, what an interesting idea to take something that could be difficult and turning it into a superpower, basically. Mm. And I thought, you know, and these are everyday things. Somehow your sensitivity to color could enable you to do something, Mm -hmm. right? So I thought that was a fascinating idea. And I was just thinking about it, like, what that what else could that mean? And the idea of dreams popped into my head because everybody dreams at night, mm-hmm. pretty much, at least now and then, sometime in your life. And so that's a very normal thing to have REM sleep and a dream. And I thought, well, what if what if you're in a situation where dreaming is special mm. uh, and not everybody dreams at night? And what would that look like? And so that's kind of what got the ball rolling with this broader idea. And then it, skip ahead like six years or something. <laughs> And I figured out um, sort of where I wanted the story to actually go with what would happen with Aster and um, the antagonist character, Eleanor, um, and how their powers would come into play beyond just being able to dream at night and where that would take them. So that was a long process. Yeah, yeah. I love the, you know, you kind of have two concepts, one very bare, just a yep. door in the middle of nowhere. Um, and one with a bit more meat on it um, yeah. with the, you know, the special ability. And then, you know, you wound up finding a story out of weaving those things together. But let's just, uh, let me take this a different different direction. So you have, you know, one concept and a second concept. Do you think that allowing those two concepts to interplay is where that starts to generate story form coming out of that. I think so to a point. Mm -hmm. I think that helped me flesh out the basic idea of the world that Aster was living in and what ultimately was going to happen. I I kind of knew how I wanted it to end pretty early. Okay. But I didn't know the in-between part. For that, it was really thinking about the characters and and you know if you grew up like this what would that mean for you how would you be what kind Mm -hmm. of person would you be because obviously something like that is extremely isolating so and i always wanted her to have this friend Uh uh-huh originally um kennedy is the name of her friend kennedy lake originally she was gonna find out that aster was a dreamer in like the third chapter or something like that very 
you know, right up front. And it was going to be a very different journey for the two of them than it turned out without right. giving away any spoilers. But taking a step back and thinking about the character relationships and where those things lead and how the various developments that I needed to happen affects the characters is, I think, really where mm -hmm. the story came together for mm -hmm. me was figuring out yeah. my, my character arcs. Yeah, that reminds me, I think my book, Rosefire, the very initial inspiration was just two lines of poetry. Ash on an old man's sleeve is all the ash the burnt roses leave. Mm -hmm. And I just had this picture in my head of an old monk <laughs> shaking ash off of his sleeve. And I was like, okay, so who's he? Start investigating that idea. Yeah. And and it, this is what you're saying, that that it was digging into a character and finding out who's this character, what do they need, how do they, what is going to be an antagonist to them, whether that's situation or person, and kind of that starts yeah. to generate story. It is such an interesting process to me. And I think for some people, you have the, the terms, the plotter and the pantsers. I think you're probably a better plotter than I am. I am not a good plotter at all. Um, <laughs> that just means I'm not a good pantser. So <laughs> it's all good. Even a, a good plotter, even a person who really maps out their story, if they aren't following those seeds of inspiration, following those characters, it's going to hit a dead end. They have to follow the story where it goes. Oh, yeah, definitely. So for me, that's what the, the plotting process is like. I'm not really plotting. I'm sort of figuring out the story in my head before I start writing because I find if I start <laughs> writing and I tried to pants this novel twice before and failed horribly both times. It was absolute drivel. So for me, the the pre-writing process is kind of where I'm following those mm -hmm. inspiration lines and the characters and, and so forth. I'm just doing it more as a mental exercise, I guess. Although that sounds terribly boring, it's not. <laughs> not at all. And then, but then even when you start writing, like I don't outline my novels or anything like that. I'm not mm -hmm. that detailed of a, of a plotter. Mm -hmm. um, I just need to know what the basic through lines are and what's basically going to happen, what the sort of plot highlights are. Yeah. And then I can, that writing from point A to the next point and then continuing that process. Oh, I need to get to where the characters are doing this. Yes. And now that yes. I'm here, I need to get to where they're doing this. In, that in-between zone is very fluid with what happens and the it's very character driven. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think your, your style and mine are closer than I thought. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so awesome. I, I remember when I finished a first draft of Rosefire getting into my car for like uh -huh. driving to work or something along, you know, just a normal everyday thing and sitting there for a moment and going, what do I think about while I drive? Yeah. I'm done with the character. Like, <laughs> Mm. I'm done with the story. <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> what what because, occupies my brain now? Right, exactly. Because so much of the mental work was that, okay, I know I need to get them from point A to point B, but I don't know exactly what that path looks like. And so yeah. the mental work is just imagining the possibilities of that path, you know, so on and so forth. And sometimes you get really fun surprises in the mix. You um, do. Did you have any particular surprises in the Red Door that you can remember? Oh, gosh. Um, I know I had a couple, but that, give me a second. I'm putting think. you on the spot. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> I know one surprise that I had was the character of Margaret, the librarian. When I introduced her in chapter one, honestly, she's just sort of a throwaway character. She, I needed a librarian. I gave her a name. Right. And because you want to do a nice job, I, I gave her a personality, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
Aster kind of figures out a backstory for her in her head because they haven't met before. And Aster analyzes everything that she encounters because she has to to continue to keep her secret. So that made sense yeah. to do that. Yeah. But then Margaret pops up again later and then again even later. And neither of those was supposed to happen. Hmm. The way Margaret pops up the third time was definitely not supposed to happen the way it did. Right. So, right. <laughs> so that surprised me. Margaret ends up actually kind of being somewhat of a pivotal character in a way. Mm -hmm. And she's got, to use the film equivalent, she's got like three minutes of screen time, but you know, she packs a punch. So that's that's definitely something that surprised me. Yeah, I love that. You're right. Like, because you put that little bit of effort into creating a character, even for a small scene, you then had that at your disposal yes. when you got to a place where she needed to make an appearance she was ready to do that. That's really cool. Yeah, she was right there for me to be like, oh, Margaret. Yes. Duh. <laughs> yes. I love it. Before we completely wrap up, I would want to ask you a few totally random questions because, as you know, the Bandersnatch is a fantasy creature from the mind of Lewis Carroll. What is your favorite fantasy creature? There are so many great fantasy creatures. One of my favorite real-world fantasy creatures is Bigfoot, you know, Sasquatch. Uh-huh. Having grown up in the Pacific Northwest where you look at all the acres of forests and you're like, well, I mean, something like that could be living here in small numbers, I suppose. You know, like there's a possibility <laughs> there, which yes. I love. But as far as uh, pure 100% fantasy, like it's a, you only see it in books and movies, I think probably my favorite fantasy creature is... It's such a tough question. To be honest, and this one's a little dark, but the ringwraiths come to mind <laughs> because mm, they're so mm -hmm. incredible. The ringwraiths are from, from the Lord of the Rings. They're pretty amazing. And again, not a creature you see a lot of, but man, they have a presence uh, both in the books and yes. in the movies. And then also, I love some of the creatures in the Harry Potter world. Mm, mm -hmm. I think particularly the Thestrals. They're so cool. You do like you do like the. Slightly I like macabre, the slightly macabre. Yes, <laughs> I also love a niffler. You know. Oh my word! The niffler's oh, so adorable. Great. This is why you wrote it. That's right. Novel. I uh, didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hope punk though. It's hope punk. <laughs> it is hope punk. Yes. So so guys, everybody listening, the the term hope punk is one that we actually got introduced to from reshelving Alexandria that you know genre term is kind of a new way of looking at dystopian fiction that it is dystopian but it you know in that it's a near future in that it's usually some sort of totalitarian government and all those things but thematically uh hope punk points to hope and points to beauty and usually the good guys wind up winning and <laughs> there may be there may be great loss in the process but <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, yeah. so that was when Red Door was already on its way to to market yeah. and when we learned that term, but we grabbed it with both hands because that just so fits the Red Door and so fits who Bandersnatch Books is. Um, so, yeah. That fits but, who I am, too. Good, good. I can't imagine writing a straight dystopian novel. So Hope Punk is very you. Yeah. And... You have other books beyond what you have put out with uh, Bandersnatch. You have a sci-fi trilogy and you have a, it's a play, right? The Confessing yes. Church. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the 
confessing church and maybe you know like you said hope punk fits your vibe how how do you see those things tying together yeah so the confessing church is a historical drama uh it's set in 1930s germany and it's kind of about how um Christians in 1930s Germany navigated the rise of Nazism and anti-Semitism. There was a lot of variety in that movement. It was kind of a spectrum all the way from, hey, the state shouldn't interfere with the church and we should be able to have Jewish members if we want, all the way to um, somebody like Bonhoeffer who was like, we need to assassinate Hitler. Um, So you had quite the spectrum. But I wanted to examine how ordinary people fell along these lines. Uh, because I had read a couple of short plays by Bertolt Brecht, a famous German writer, and he had written a few plays um, sort of examining this thing. They're they're short, you know, a few pages long. And I was just fascinated by the fact that he's just looking at ordinary people in ordinary circumstances and just how pervasive the fear was in living in that time and place. And I wanted to take a look at that. And also the story of the Confessing Church is, is really interesting you had so many people and and you could do something as simple as a pastor preaching a sermon from the old testament could land you in a concentration camp i mean depending on where you lived and how strict the authorities were there so what do you do when that's the case and so that play very much came up out of an interest in in history i love history but also these very trying circumstances and how they affect ordinary people have you read John Hendrick's book, The Faithful Spy? Ooh, I have not. A, I think you'd love it. B, I think some of our listeners who would love your book would also, you know, they'd be the, just the right mm. audience for The Faithful Spy. It's sort of halfway between a novel and a graphic novel. Okay. It's very, very highly illustrated. John is an illustrator and writer, but there's like whole pages of text in it too. Like it's not like a graphic novel with panels, right. but it's about Bonhoeffer. And reading it, I think was, you know, I knew about Bonhoeffer. But I think reading that was really one of the first times that I really got a sense of that tension that you were just talking about. And yeah, it's a fascinating one. I think you'd love it. I'll look that up. And then did you want me to talk about the sci-fi books? Yeah. So also tell us about the Fractured Galaxy Trilogy. Okay. So the Fractured Galaxy Trilogy is near future realistic space adventure. So I like to tell people it's like Apollo 13 meets the Martian without the swearing. That's basically what it is. Uh, So you've got a group of Air Force astronauts, because I was Air Force, and uh, they're going on the first manned mission to Mars. And something happens along the way with their experimental new propulsion system, which lands them outside the solar system. And they're trapped there because we don't have the technology to get them back. And we don't even have the technology to communicate with them. So the story is then basically, how do these three people survive? And how do the people on the ground figure out, well, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? What Once they all figure out what happened, first of all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it's really a story of perseverance and again, hope, just mm-hmm. just keeping the faith yeah. that um, you can you can make it through. The first book is called Random Walk, which is a mathematical term, <laughs> which I never thought I would be using in a book that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so much scientific research went into that. Oh my gosh, thank goodness my brother's a scientist. <laughs> right exactly well thank you i this has been such a fun conversation we will wrap up here and i'm just going to say to everyone may you find treasures bookish treasures in your wanderings off the beaten path thanks for listening in to our conversation today on the bander pod 
We hope you'll check out our full catalog at bandersnatchbooks.com. The Bander Pod is produced by Rachel S. Donahue, A.B. Donahue, and Carolyn Claire Gibbons. Audio engineering by S.D.G. Morgan. Artwork by Evelyn Warnemendy. Many thanks to our friend Chris Slayton of Son of Laughter for our theme song, Cricket in a Jar. Find links and more in the show notes.